0: Ah, welcome back to Hertel. Uh, ah, been a minute since I've got to talk to this one, one of my favorite people on earth. He is the Editor-in-Chief Emeritus. That's a big fancy Latin word, which means used to be, but kind of still is. Uh, Editor-in-Chief of Ordinary-Times.com. A good friend, of, also an attorney, and somebody I lean on for opinions and off-the-record stuff all the time and advice, and I appreciate him greatly. Bert Lyko, how are you, sir? i'm doing
1: great andrew i'm happy to come and offer a little bit of uh age diversity after all of your young voices (laughs) guests i can be a middle-aged voice for you
0: uh to be fair i'm closer to you than i am to most of them at this stage of the game but no we last time i had you on we were talking jeopardy which was fun so more trivia stuff um this time a little more Mm -hmm. serious topic and you're gonna have to use your lawyer hat a whole lot more free speech uh everybody talks about it but let's do what we normally do on our show let's get the nomenclature right so free speech does have a legal definition uh, and then it has the cultural definition but when from a lawyer point of view what is the legal definition of free speech at least as a concept
1: this is exactly how I would have begun uh, this topic also Andrew you can't confuse the cultural concept of free speech with the legal concept of free speech legally free speech necessarily involves the government in some fashion the only thing that we care about when we talk about about your legal right of free speech is what the government does either to prevent or to permit you to make some kind of a statement. And if the government is not involved, then there is no, it doesn't make sense to talk about your right of free speech. You must have state action for that. Now, culturally, we think about free speech a lot differently. Um, and there, I'm a participant in the culture. The fact that I'm a lawyer doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. Everyone participates in the culture in one way or another, and everyone is subject to different kinds of cultural regulations. Uh, The word that political scientists use to describe those cultural regulations or rules, uh, we call them norms. Uh, These are just standards of what is generally expected behavior. So those are the two spheres where free speech matters,
0: And the thing that we've got going on in our current paradigm of time is technology has completely changed how people's speech gets out. Now, everybody has a platform. Everybody has an amplification. You don't have to have a print media or a television media to get your voice heard. That has a lot of upside to it, obviously with what we do where we get to write and commentate and things like that. But it's also brought a bunch of confusion because like you said, state action is required to get into free speech things and the internet and the technology and the social media and all those things in your opinion just because you've been doing this longer than i have has it has it muddled down what free speech is or has it amplified the existing problems of what free speech has already always had to deal with
1: it may be because i do a lot of my, my uh, social media interaction and a lot of my uh, in person interactions with other lawyers uh, we're all pretty clear. It's not the case that um, that all lay people are, and it's particularly not the case when you have political actors who may wish to uh, blur the distinction between those two spheres for for some sort
0: of advantage. Talking to Bert Lyko, do you think that here's the thing with it though? Too is. I think one of the main problems we got going on here is we want to substitute the tech companies for state actors. And when we start, I know there's a big regulation fight. We might get into that a little bit later, but I think it's really, really important, especially from a legal definition and from a, from a concept definition to understand that no matter how powerful a tech company gets, that's still not the government for a lot of really important and frankly, good distinctive reasons, isn't it?
1: Well, Cons- consider the most prominent example that I can think of, of a, uh, a tech company exercising censorship power. Back in late January of 2020, Facebook and Twitter pulled Donald Trump from their platforms. Uh, he was at that point still the sitting president of the United States, and uh, they decided that he had violated their terms of service too much, done too much with their platforms. Uh, That must have been a very hard call for them to make because uh, whatever they thought of him personally, whatever their political opinions were, uh, he was still president of the United States, and you don't deprive the president of the United States of an opportunity to communicate with people lightly. Uh, But that was not a governmental decision. In fact, Donald Trump was the head of the government at the time, He was quite upset about it, as you'll recall, and um, would have discouraged them in any way that he could. If I recall correctly, he made some threats and shook his fist rhetorically about that, although um, that was probably not a very credible threat for him to make. And the reason it wasn't a credible threat for him to make was Twitter and Facebook are private companies, they are private actors, and can decide for themselves, who has and who does not have access to their service. That is actually their right of free speech. Part of free speech is the right of association. You will include that in the First Amendment as against the government. So if you have a right of free association, that means you get to decide who you do business with. And they decided they didn't want to do business with Donald Trump anymore as their own private decision. No one forced them to do that. Uh, customer, other customers gave them pressure to do that, but they decided that on their own.
0: Yeah, talking free speech with our friend Bert Lyko. Let me take it to an extreme example. Think about it in the terms of what we're seeing with Vladimir Putin and Russia right now. Go to any point in recorded human history and try to explain to somebody, hey, this company was able to make the head of the government not talk to the normal people and just try to watch them try to roll that through their head like that. That's something that's never I, I would venture to say that's probably never happened in recorded human history where whatever the main way of communicating to the people that they took ahead of state and took them off the platform of the people. I don't know of any examples happening. So on one hand, I'm, I'm a freedom-loving guy. I'm usually an all-of-the-above guy when it comes to freedom and free speech. I didn't really like them doing it, but I understood it. But if I'm honest about it and if I'm consistent in that belief of freedom, can't you go to the other side of it and look at how normally dictators dictate to the media and they always try to control the media first? That's kind of a, in a kind of a bizarro way, isn't that a triumph of freedom that I know it's a big, bad, evil company, quote-unquote, But we can depose our head of state from being able to communicate stuff like that. That's that's freedom, too, in a way, isn't it?
1: I suppose if we wanted to stretch that a little bit, we could find examples of um, uh, companies, corporations, economic interests uh, combining with other governments to overthrow governments that uh, that were unfriendly to them or or their profit making interests. We could talk about the opium wars. We could talk about. Uh, Central America. Uh, We could stretch it a little bit further and talk about uh, different kinds of uh, Western revolutions going all the way back to the French and American revolutions. Uh, That would all be a very interesting historical discussion. Uh, But nobody got hurt when Twitter and Facebook deplatformed Donald Trump. That was not a violent act. Uh, Donald Trump is still every bit as healthy today as he was before he got deplatformed. Because you don't need social media to survive as much as that hurts some people to to confront. If I were to try and uh, call that a a triumph of freedom, uh, I think that's self-evident that it's a triumph of freedom. This is free association realized. Freedom of association is really the freedom to decide who you don't associate with. The cultural concept of freedom of speech is really you deciding what speech is out of bounds for you, what speech you don't want to hear, what speech you don't want to make. That's what it really is in reality. So, you know, when in in action, your freedom of association is really your freedom of exclusion. If I don't like you, I don't have to be your friend. Now, Andrew, I do like you, and and we are friends, but that is. that is a choice that we both have made to be friends. So uh, re- multiply that by 350 million and you have social media. You don't have to follow anybody on Twitter. You don't have to subscribe to anybody's wall on Facebook. That's up to you to decide.
0: And before we delve into the piece that you wrote about it, because it was a uh, highly controversial piece, we it lit up <laughs> the comment section, as they say. Um, but I, I think we need to touch on a basic fundamental argument that has been going since there was two human beings talking to each other. It's certainly fundamental to the founding of America. Our founding fathers all dealt with this and we all deal with it with social media daily. The fundamental question here with free speech is the fundamental question of rights is, okay, where does my rights start and where does your rights go to? And when they start to meet, That's the conflict, isn't it? Because there's no such thing as you having a right and me having a right and then being in a vacuum at some point. They're going to touch each other. And then that's where you have to start figuring out, okay, what's really a right or not? Because it's starting to infringe on that other person. That's really the fundamental thing under here. And then freedom of speech debates kind of go under that subheading, don't they? Let
1: me answer that question by asking you a question back. Um, I hate when you do this. <laughs> uh, and I invite your listeners to answer this question for themselves. After I pose the question, maybe hit the pause button and take 60 seconds and sort of mold this over in your mind. Um, why is free speech valuable?
0: And that's a better segue than any way I can put it. Uh, so take a few minutes, think about that question Bert just posed. We'll be right back with Bert Lyko with more Hotel right after this. Yeah.
1: Let me answer that question by asking you a question back. Um, I hate when you do this. (laughs) uh, And I invite your listeners to answer this question for themselves. After I pose the question, maybe hit the pause button and take 60 seconds and sort of mold this over in your mind. Um, Why is free speech valuable? Everyone you talk to from the United Nations and its Declaration of Universal Human Rights down to the rando sitting next to you at the bar who is six pints into it will tell you that free speech is a super important, super valuable thing, a bedrock part of our foundation. Why? What's it for? Taking a little bit of time to think about that, you might want to think about whether the answer is different when we're in the governmental sphere versus the cultural sphere why is it important the government not sanction your speech versus why is it important that you have the cultural latitude to say certain things let me give you a list of answers people have given me to that question over the year Um, um, some of them say and this is i think the most frequent response that that question doesn't make any sense. Free speech is inherently valuable. It requires no further explanation. Uh, of course, free speech is valuable. Of course, it's important. Can't you tell it's free speech? I'm not sure that that is analytically right. You might disagree with me, and that's, that is certainly your right. Um, the reason I don't think it's right is what makes something inherently valuable is it ultimately contributes to your happiness. The only thing that I think is truly inherently valuable is happiness. So maybe free speech is valuable because it helps us become happy. Uh, I don't know if that bears up to experiential analysis also. Uh, When we are talking about free speech, we are really talking about uh, how much you're willing to tolerate things that you don't like hearing. That's a, um, inherently an exercise that is calculated to make you unhappy. Maybe we have free speech because it makes us smarter, because it helps us learn things, because it helps us find truth. Uh, that's kind of the Jeffersonian model of it. Uh, that Jefferson threw out in his, uh, his declaration of religious freedom when he was governor of Virginia, that different ideas, uh, he was speaking specifically about religion, but it applies to everything. Uh, Different ideas will clash with one another, and the strongest one will come out. I wonder about that, too. That might not be right, because what that really tells us is what is the most popular idea. That's not necessarily the correct idea. A little less common, people say free speech helps us uh, decide how to govern ourselves. Free speech lets us have other rights. So if we have other rights, we can't really use them well unless we have freedom of speech to talk about them. Here, I think we're getting much closer to the mark. If you have the right to vote, for instance, that is kind of a meaningless right unless you know what different candidates stand for, what they're going to do if you give them power. So free speech helps us govern ourselves. That is an answer I kind of favor. And of late in life, I've become kind of cynical and I've sort of decided maybe we have free speech because it's just easier than any other way of conducting ourselves. If we allow ourselves the notion that you're just gonna have to tolerate some stuff you don't like, uh, that means you have to invest a lot less resources, a lot less emotion into responding to something that you don't like it's cheaper it's faster it's easier um, and that might make you happier if you can shrug off something and just say well he's just exercising his right of free speech he's wrong as hell but uh, but whatever that's what people do and those are ideas of why we care about free speech why it's important
0: and that gives that oh sorry go ahead
1: yeah uh, to conclude, um, that is uh, going to govern how you respond to speech you don't like.
0: And to go to part, the second part of what you were asking when you told us to all pause for a moment, the difference between the cultural side and the government side is when you get into tolerance and you get into things like that, the the way I go to it is um, I when I disagree with Bert about whatever that you know uh portland timbers is the best mls team or whatever we're going to fight about online on twitter uh and i want to say somebody else is a better team you know we that level of tolerance is one thing i don't have an armed enforcement part of my repertoire like the federal government does or like a government does where they if they set a standard now you're into enforcement I don't have enforcement. Twitter doesn't have enforcement. Uh, Instagram don't have enforcement. They have terms of service. They can deny you service, but that's not really enforcement. That's, that's that injury thing you opened up with. So when once you get the government involved, and we've already established that free speech is has a governmental element to it, especially when we're talking about it as a right, if you have enforcement abilities, if you have prosecutorial abilities, that's when this starts changing in the conversation, isn't it?
1: Sure. If you say something as admittedly boneheadingly dumb as there's a better MLS team than the Portland Timbers, then um, I lack the ability to send the Portland Police Bureau out to arrest you for that. Uh, The mayor of Portland lacks the ability to do that. And and if some police officer on his own initiative goes out to do that, well, he's committing a crime. You're allowed your uh, very, very wrong opinion that there's a better MLS team than the Timbers.
0: Um, and to that point though, if I say I'm going to shoot the president, especially somebody like me who has a platform if I if I say that on the radio, I guarantee you I will get a secret service call because they monitor certain things or if I put that on a on a tweet or something, yeah, that's free speech I can say that. But the enforcement arm of the government, especially something like the Secret Service, they're going to make a phone call and check in on you on that because they do have that right and that authority, legal and otherwise, right?
1: Well, it turns out actually shooting the president is a crime and a pretty serious one. So someone who announces their intent to commit a crime is going to attract governmental attention. This is not a violation of your right of free speech. That is investigation of a crime.
0: This and and that's the extreme example, of course. Um, let's take the internet meme that everybody uses wrong. Uh, we've got it on our M. Carpenter All Star list of things that drive her crazy, <laughs> along with uh, HIPAA and my apostrophe <laughs> usage. But shouting fire in a crowded theater—this is the classic example of free yes. speech. Most people get this wrong for a lot of reasons. Just real quick recap that for us. The argument of because there's actually been this is this, there's case law on this. Believe it or not, it's not just a meme. They, they actually hashed this out uh, fire in a crowded theater and free speech.
1: Well, the phrase you uh, one may not shout fire in a crowded theater comes from a dissenting opinion in a free speech case dating back to the 1920s. So this is almost 100 years old. And. Uh, And bear in mind, back in the 1920s, fires breaking out in theater was a thing that happened with some frequency and people got hurt a lot. Fire codes have improved, uh, fire safety has improved, yada, yada, yada. Uh, But that was never actually the law. Uh, The law would be you can shout fire in a crowded theater under a lot of circumstances. There are times it might be illegal and there are times it might not be. So we've got to look at, do you legitimately believe there is a fire going on? Is a fire really going on? How do people react to that? Taking that statement in context, is that the sort of thing that is likely to cause a public hazard, public danger? We don't know that one way or the other. Uh, So the real answer to, to the question, can you shout fire in a crowded theater or not, is I need more information to answer that question.
0: How much does, this is probably not the right term, so you give me a better term, but when we're talking about free speech, the circumstances, because we've already talked about intent, intent actually has a legal definition. You go to court, most court cases, you're trying to figure out intent in a lot of cases, whether it's case law, criminal law, whatever, you're looking for intent. How much of free speech is circumstances? Because you know, if I say we joke at Ordinary Times about every now and then you write, well, something got said on the Internet pieces. That's kind of like the the lowbrow stuff we have to do sometimes. <laughs> but that's a circumstance of speech. It's just, oh, well, somebody said something, everybody going to react to it. That's one circumstances. But then you have things like January 6th where you have, OK, did this speech incite a riot or you have the fire in a theater? Did this speech cause physical bodily harm to people? How much of it is really figuring out the circumstances around the the speech, and then you're really getting into, you know, thoughts and will and this kind of nebulous area of, you know, reading minds and hearts?
1: I guess the right answer to that question is context matters intensely. There's a phrase that comes up in free speech law. It comes up in a variety of other kinds of legal spheres as well uh, called the totality of the circumstances what the courts will do is rely on uh, the different parties to bring up different circumstances and put something that is in question fully in context. Uh, Intent is likely to be one of those things. Uh, If you're talking about things like potentially inciting unlawful activity, uh, potentially inciting imminent unlawful activity to meet the Brandenburg standard, uh, then you need to also think about what the reasonable, ordinary person hearing this speech would react with that. It, it, it's not so much the speaker's intent in that situation as uh, what the listener's likely reasonable response would be. So uh, I don't know if that directly answers your question, uh, but context matters intensely.
0: And we'll continue our conversation on free speech with our friend Bert Lyko right after this on her tip. Now, let's use an example that you used writing in your piece at ordinary-times.com, which we love when we get you in uh, and very much appreciate it. Uh, from your semi-retirement from blogging, we'll call it your uh, productive <coughs> retirement. Um, the New York Times editorial on free speech Uh, got a lot of reaction from all across the spectrum. I think everybody agreed that it probably wasn't worded as well as you would think the editorial board of the New York Times talking about free speech should write something. I think everybody agreed on that. And then everybody dissented from there to what part was good and what part was bad. But they really got they they kind of got neck deep in the cancel culture stuff because the way they phrased it. And I'll just read the quote because it's the quote everybody else talked about. And you hit it on your piece. And they said, uh, for all the tolerance and enlightenment, as the New York Times, that modern society claims Americans are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned. That last part is where they got into a whole bunch of trouble, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's fear of being shamed and shunned. I'll just give you the floor on it, because fear of being shamed and shunned is something everybody understands what they're saying, but it's super nebulous. It's super, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's really subjective. Um, And as far as I know, you do not have a right to not be mocked and shamed and shunned from society that I am aware of. Is that how it landed with you? Uh,
1: Yeah, I thought the New York Times was dead wrong about that. You have never in your life had the social or cultural right to be unafraid of being shamed or shunned, never have, never will. The whole point of having a culture is a culture sets boundaries on our behavior. It sets guidelines for our behavior. When you deviate from those, you're going to get pushback from other people. You're going to get people pointing out in one way or another, and it's generally not going to be a very friendly way that you are behaving in a way that they consider unacceptable. Political scientists have a term for people who say things that are or are not acceptable. They, the, one political scientist, a fellow named Overton, came up with the concept of the Overton window. You can say something like, uh, Bert, you know, I really don't think the Timbers are the best team in the MLS, and that's going to be a acceptable thing to say. I'm going to respond, Andrew, you fool! Of course, they're the best team in the MLS, and then we're going to argue about why one of us is more right than the other. That's an acceptable thing. We're not expected to get into a fight about that. If I were to say to you, Andrew, there is A labor shortage going on in this country right now. A lot of companies are having trouble filling valuable jobs. And I think the answer is we should bring back slavery, but, you know, only for the bad people. Well, this is going to be an unacceptable idea. This is kind of out of bounds. It is out of the Overton window. Uh, I do not advocate a return of slavery, of course. No one should. That's what it means to be out of the Overton window. That is out of bounds. You would react badly. You wouldn't say, Bert, you fool, the way that you would if we were arguing about soccer. You would say, Bert, you're a monster. And you'd be right. That would be a monstrous thing to suggest with sobriety. So you've never had a right to be free from social sanction if you say something monstrous. And there is no way to construct a legal right of free speech. There is no way to construct a norm of free dialogue that happens culturally that does not incorporate some kind of a sanction for saying something monstrous. I have a right to react to your monstrous statement by shaming and shunning you. That is my right of free speech.
0: Let me, let me roll this back for just a second. I'm going to ask you an impossible question, but it got posed to me by someone that's not online, so I'll, I won't reveal them here. But it really made me think about this in a, in a different way. And this isn't a right or wrong statement. I'm just, this is a challenging my own thinking. And then you tell me if it's crazy or not. But it got posited to me that, and this is a loaded term, and I'm going to use it on purpose because I know it's a loaded term. But is it true just in the United States of America in the year of our Lord 2022 with all the social media and all the freedoms and all the things that go into being an American that is on has the capability and the social standing to be online regularly? Have we just become so privileged with saying whatever we want whenever we want with any without any consequence of any meaning whatsoever? That we're just culturally not really well equipped to understand a concept like free speech as it was originally intended, like the Founding Fathers, where they're talking about printing presses and such.
1: I am going to disagree with what at least what I understand that sentence to be. I, I think that if you get people to stop and think with a moment's worth of clarity, they will find a distinction between what the government does and what other people do. It doesn't take a lot of work to remind people of that distinction. Uh, You know, you say it on the program all the time, freedom of speech does not mean freedom from consequence. And you're right. And you're so obviously right about that, that it's gonna be a universal truth. I think what we are seeing happening in the culture now I think what we have seen happen in the culture a generation ago when I was in college, and instead of calling it cancel culture, we called it political correctness. Um, or, you know, a generation before that, when if you were a young Republican for Nixon, you couldn't get a date uh, in college, uh, except if you're going to date another young Republican for Nixon. Or you go back a generation before that to when William F. Buckley Jr., one of the Uh, Founders of the modern conservative movement wrote and published his first book God and Man at Yale as a student at Yale in the late 1940s Buckley felt oppressed shunned mocked by his professors by his peers for expressing uh, what were then the the politically conservative constellation of political views and for being open about his uh, strong uh, Christian faith. He felt that these things were held up for ridicule and that he was shunned because of them. Um, this is nothing new. Uh, if Bill Buckley felt that as a college student in the 1940s, I don't think we're experiencing anything particularly new right now for people to feel shunned or mocked because they hold unpopular views. Unpopular views are um, unpopular.
0: All right, Counselor, since you left it dangling out there, I will ask the obvious question. Um, you ended your piece with something I say all the time. I'll paraphrase it to the way I say it. <laughs> Human nature is undefeated. Um, this is something we're all going to deal with. But since you left it dangling out there, I will ask you the question, how do we highlight those differences in a productive way so that they can have the, the conversation at least and we can have the discussions back? Because We just seem to skip over the differences and go right back to the fighting. How do we highlight those differences you were talking about, do you think, in a productive way?
1: There's lots of ways that we can go about doing it. And um, I think the best option for someone who wants to express a point of view they believe will be unpopular is to do it in a formal sort of way, to do it in a way saying, here's an idea. To consider. You probably won't like it, but here's a way to go and to to attach a degree of formality to it, to attach a bit of disclaimer to it right away. If you announce, I would like to discuss this idea, that helps soften the blow a little bit. There are other ways too. There's different other kinds of cultural signals that you can send, Uh, but this is a matter of your mastery of the culture. Uh, I think phrasing your idea that is likely to be unpopular uh, in the form of I would like to discuss this is a strong cultural signal that you're not trying to offend someone, but you're really trying to debate a, a concept. This is how we've had a lot of things that used to be culturally unthinkable push that Overton window to one side or the other. It used to be unthinkable that gay people could be married to one another. It used to be unthinkable that we would have open discussion on the floor of Congress about legalizing marijuana, and maybe one day we actually do it. Uh, Now it's thinkable that such a thing like that could happen. I think that sort of thing starts at the cultural level, and it starts with people making formal invitations to have a debate and others deciding, I will participate in that debate.
0: Bert Lyko. He participates in debates when I ask him to, and I appreciate him greatly. Somebody I really pay attention to. I've respected his opinion. He's been uh, a great sounding board for me over the years. Let folks know where your social media is. You write with ordinary-times.com infrequently now, but there is a vast article uh, archive of your writing over the years. I encourage people to go read. I know I do. I always search it from time to time. Let folks know where they can find you on social media and what you have going on, my friend.
1: Well, you can certainly search for all of those uh, articles that I wrote. I think there's about 700 of them uh, left over from, uh, from, from many years of writing at ordinary-times.com. Uh, my most recent one discussing this very subject has become, I think, the most commented article that I've written. And if it wasn't, uh, the one that beats it out would be another one about political correctness that I wrote uh, 10 years ago. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at, at Burt uh, B-U-R-T-L-I-K-K-O, and uh, that's uh, that's where you will find my random musings and uh, explanations for why the Portland Timbers are the best team in Major League Soccer.
0: One thing I will give you on Portland, it is a fantastic food city, which means you are a valuable founding member of twitter supper club because y'all got some fine eating up there in the pacific northwest indisputably one of the great food cities of the world not just america one of the reasons you chose to move there you can read those articles at ordinary times too uh bert i appreciate you so much my friend tough topic and i appreciate you explaining it to me like i'm five thank you sir it
1: is absolutely my pleasure andrew come on out here and i will make you fat with our wonderful portland food
0: I can't. I, I want to do the food trucks. Uh, you've heard of pub crawls? They have food truck crawls in Portland. They're so well known for them. We got to do one of those, my friend. We'll talk soon. Have you back again, my friend? Thank you for the time. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
1: The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, and save 15% with promo code DEAL. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator